Father, as we now come to your word, we pray that you would open it to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to set aside for the next uh, number of moments, to set aside the, the baggage that we likely brought into this Sunday from the week behind us, and for the week ahead of us, the things that we're thinking about and the problems we're trying to solve, help those things to take the back seat to your word being presented for us. And because it's alive, because it's active, may you use it this morning, as you've promised to do, to change us from the inside out. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, so first, the where and the when. So we are in Jerusalem, specifically we're in the temple, and it's 40 days after Christ's birth. So according to the law, Jewish, uh, the Jewish law, they were to bring Jesus to the temple for a blessing, for a presentation. And so we're 40 days since he's been born, and uh, that's where we're at and the win of where we're at. And then we're going to look at just who is there. So first we see uh, the parents, Mary and Joseph. We see them a couple of times coming in, presenting the child, and then a message that's delivered to Mary by this man named Simeon. And we know very little about Simeon. He's only mentioned here in Luke chapter 2. Nowhere else in the scripture is he spoken of, but he's spoken of as a righteous and devout man. This was a man, a godly man, that was uh, loving the Lord. He was a Jew following uh, the commandments of the law and uh, working hard to do so. He was a righteous man. And we see in verse 25 also that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And finally, we see that he's a prophet. If you look at verse 26, it says, and it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this is a righteous and devout man that had heard from the Lord a specific revelation of something that would come in the future. So a prophet to the extent that the Spirit was speaking directly to him and revealing things to him. So that's, that's the, the who, the Simeon, and we'll probably hear more about him from Chris as well. But I next want to focus on Jesus. We're going to take this kind of backwards. In verse 27, we see the child Jesus. So we know this story. We know the account, the infant 
Jesus coming to the temple. But if you look at verse 26 in this prophecy to Simeon, he's the Lord's Christ. He is God's Christ. This word Christ is a title. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. So we know that Jesus is the babe, but he's not just any babe. He is the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. He is the Lord's Christ that Simeon was waiting for. And we see if we keep going back up in the text at the end of verse 25 or in the middle of verse 25, that it, that it says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm going to make the argument because he's waiting and because Jesus is that anointed one, that Messiah, that Jesus is the consolation of Israel. So now we need some terms and definitions because the Trents are thinking consolation. That's like when the third and fourth teams play for the second loser, right? It's not that type of consolation. The definition of consolation might be a good one of this. The comfort received by a person or a group after a loss or disappointment. So we can hear that idea of a consolation, but what does it mean that Jesus is the consolation of Israel? What did, what did Israel need to be comforted from, and why was Jesus the answer? And really the story the account, uh, the understanding of this is really the entire Old Testament. And we see this all the way from Abraham all the way down to Simeon of this, this cycle of spiritual ups and downs where Israel comes to God and they're following God, but then they sin and fall away from God. There's judgment by God, often by ungodly nations. And then there's a repenting and a turning back to God. And the cycle repeats over and over and over again. Some of these cycles are short, some of them are very long, but from Abraham to Moses to David to the Assyrian captivity and Babylonian captivity and in all of the majors, the major and minor prophets, this happens over and over again. And the problem, the main, the, the base problem of this is ultimately we know is sin, because sin always creates a falling away from God. It always creates a separation from God, and it always requires a judgment of God. And to that extent, Jesus is not only the consolation of Israel, but he was the consolation all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned. And from Adam and Eve down through the time, everyone needed comfort because everyone had fallen short of God's standard and had sinned. So all of us, including Simeon, Adam and Eve, and everyone uh, since then uh, to even today need to be consoled. We need comfort. We need salvation from our sin, which brings such judgment and separation. So a couple of, there's a myriad of prophecies that we could go to, but I told Chris I'd only take 20 minutes. Uh, so I'm just going to take you to two. Keep your finger in Luke, but go back to the book of Isaiah. So you're going back in the left of your Bible, Old Testament. If you get to the book of Psalms, you've gone too far. Isaiah chapter 40, I really like to hear the pages turning, it's a beautiful thing. So two prophecies uh, among many of Jesus being this consolation, this comforter. And we can authoritatively apply these passages from Isaiah to Jesus because they're both quoted in the New Testament as referring to him or pointing to him. So the first one is Isaiah chapter 40. 
We're just going to read the first uh, five verses, and you'll notice when we get to verse 3, it should sound familiar because uh, Matthew uses it in his gospel in chapter 3 to speak of John the Baptist, who was pointing forward to Christ. So Jesus here, we know, is the consolation or the comforter of Israel, and see what he comforts them with. So Isaiah 40, starting in verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the deserts a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this is the comfort that Isaiah is looking forward to. He's looking forward to one that would end warfare, that would pardon iniquity, that would make the rough paths smooth, and that would reveal the glory of the Lord. Secondly, flip over to Isaiah chapter 61. So just a few pages over. And again, uh, when Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 4, he uses this exact passage. In fact, he gets the scroll of Isaiah and reads it and says, this is being fulfilled today in your presence. So we know when we read the me here in Isaiah 61, Isaiah unknowingly, maybe knowingly, to what extent does he know, we're not sure, but this me is in fact Jesus that he points forward to. And we see that uh, in this, uh, this being written some 700 years before Christ, that Isaiah is comforting his people that there is good news coming, that there is one that will come and will deal with the sin problem and will replace your mourning with gladness. So Isaiah chapter 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Remember me, think of Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So this is the good news that Isaiah is comforting the people of Israel. It will not always be this way. There's one coming that will proclaim good news. He will proclaim liberty. He will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He will replace your ashes, sackcloth and ashes. Instead, you will have beautiful headdresses. Instead of a faint spirit, you will have garments of praise. Instead of mourning, you will have gladness. Instead of sin being marked by who you are, you will be oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord himself, and that he may be glorified. So Jesus is not just the babe in the manger. He is the Lord Christ. He is the one, the promised Messiah, that would save people from their sins. And he's the consoler, 
the comforter of Israel, and all those that place their trust in him. But the story goes on. The incarnate Christ is not the end of the consolation. There's one other major character in Luke chapter 2. Maybe you noticed it, maybe you didn't. But flip back to Luke 2. I told you to save it, and then I left it. He's mentioned three times. At the end of verse 25, it says, And the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and it was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit. And verse 27, And Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple. Now, why do I make a point here of the Holy Spirit? Isaiah likely didn't see this in his prophecy, although it was there. Simeon probably didn't see it, although he was experiencing it as the Holy Spirit was upon him. John the Baptist even probably didn't see it clearly, but I think Luke, the writer of Luke, and then subsequently the writer of Acts, who shows and documents the Spirit coming, I think he was pointing forward to something. So look to John chapter 14. Just over a few pages to John chapter 14. And it, it's interesting because it's not the same Greek word, but it's a very closely related word to the consolation of Israel. When he talks about the Holy Spirit, he uses a word that is right next to the same root word as the consolation of Israel when he talks about the Holy Spirit. So let's see it here in the text. John 14, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So Jesus is our helper. He is our, the consolation of Israel, but he is going to send another helper, another one that will console, that will come alongside, that will aid, that will be our advocate. And this helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this consoler of God's people is not just Jesus. It is Jesus, but it's also the spirit of Jesus that comes after his ascension. And I think it's interesting, maybe you've heard this before, it hit me when I learned it many years ago, that when you look at even Simeon, it says that the, spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And when you look at the Old Testament, the spirit is upon many including Saul, but the spirit was removed from Saul. And David even prayed, do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. But the glorious news of this consoler, of this helper, he is with us forever. And he doesn't just dwell upon us, he dwells in us. He will dwell with you and will be in you. Because Jesus, the consolation of Israel, deals with sin, now the God of the universe can come and indwell the heart's of those that are trusting in him. This helper will be with all those that are trusting in Christ. And going on in John chapter 14, in verse 25, Jesus tells us even more about this consoler. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So just as the Holy Spirit revealed specific things to Simeon, he doesn't reveal in the same way. We're not getting new revelation, but the Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' words, and he comforts us 
with those words to point us to the glories of Christ. So Jesus was the consolation and is the consolation of Israel and all that trust in him. And Jesus has sent another comforter, another counselor, another advocate to all who trust in him. So two points of application, and then we will get back to singing. Number one, do you need consolation today? Do you need comfort? Have you come this morning and your hearts are heavy because of just the circumstances of life? Or maybe as you think about your own sin and your own separation from God, maybe you have never experienced this comfort, this comfort of the Holy Spirit coming to and dwell with you and in you. If you've never experienced this, this is the open invitation of the gospel. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Simply by believing in Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, you can receive the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of you, to be indwelling in you now and on this earth, and to give you eternal consolation for your soul. So if you're here this morning and have never come to the end of yourself and never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, don't leave today without settling this issue. Talk to the person that's next to you that invited you uh, and come to Jesus and find rest. Secondly, and finally, a point of application from Simeon's life. Simeon was filled with great expectation and hope. We didn't spend much time looking at him. Maybe more will be coming from Chris. Uh, But he was looking forward to this Messiah, to this consoler. Are you filled with this type of hope? Now, Simeon had a special revelation that the Messiah was going to come. But we, too, have the same special revelation. Equally powerful, equally pertinent, and equally promised that the Messiah is coming again. Are you hopeful? Are you looking forward to the truth that the babe did not just come in the manger, but he is coming again? If we are to be like Simeon, expectant, hopeful, anxious, not in a bad way, but anxious in a good way, excited, may we, as we celebrate his first advent this season and this week, may we also strongly encourage one another to remember that he's coming again and he will console our souls. So with that, let's continue to sing our uh, worship to the Lord, and we will be ready for round number two. Good morning, church family. Beautiful morning. Please open your Bibles again to Luke chapter 2. In your pew Bible, that's I think 857. Yes. We'll be looking at just verses 29 through 32. And thank you, Chad. Marvelous. You also may want to have a few thumbs in Isaiah and in Psalms, depending on how many thumbs you brought. We'll go quickly. So, here we stand in our mind's eye, looking on as Simeon, the Lord's man, having come in the Spirit to the Lord's temple. He gently cradles the precious child in his arms, smiling broadly, eyes aglow, tears perhaps streaming through crow's feet down his cheeks into his beard. The old man blesses God and says, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Wonderful, isn't it? Beautiful. I read this, I just have to pause and thank God. Look carefully at what Simeon says. I don't know if you make notes in your Bible. But if you do, begin at the very first word in most translations of verse 29. First few words, you're going to see Lord. And thereafter, all the way to the end of verse 32, circle every you and your. There are only 45 words in this psalm. Seven times. Simeon looks to the Lord. Every gesture of mercy, every tender expression of loving kindness, every promise fulfilled, every act of grace, every event in the history of redemption, every illumination of truth, every gift of honor, gratefully and carefully attributed to the Lord High Sovereign and to Him alone. Such is Simeon's reverence for the Lord in the spirit. Necessary equipment for each of us if we are going to see anything in our time the way Simeon saw everything in his time. Namely, that everything associated with our salvation from beginning to end is of the Lord. We begin with the Lord's timing. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Four times directing all attention to our sovereign God. And by his use of a particularly powerful Greek word for Lord, used only five times in the whole New Testament, Simeon deeply humbles himself before our sovereign God highly exalting Him, acknowledging His limitless power over all creation, His complete dominion and right of authority over all peoples in life and in death, and His absolute control over all events in time. And now, in the Lord's time, the most anticipated moment of Simeon's life has arrived. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, as Chad explained in his excellent message earlier this morning. And now, Simeon holds the Lord's Christ in his arms. Longing, satisfied, today. Patience rewarded today. Everlasting hope made sure today. Promise fulfilled today according to the Lord's word. No more waiting. No more holding on. A life 
well lived, as Chad explained, gladly given up to the Lord. Ever a joyful slave to the Lord's will, faithful Simeon asks only that he be granted the Lord's release. Now dismiss your servant, O my master. The Lord's peace is already his, a sense of perfect wellness. The arrival of the Lord's Christ having tied together as a whole all the events of Simeon's life. He is at rest in the spirit, ready to pass from this world in the Lord's time. Which brings us to the Lord's salvation. Oh, yes. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Yes, salvation is entirely of the Lord. And here we see the first of three ways that Christ embodies the grand themes of redemptive history in Simeon's song. For Christ himself is Lord, and he is himself the Lord's salvation. Don't miss this. We behold here, through Simeon's eyes, the Savior in his infancy, the Son of God already engaged for centuries in his majestic work of sovereign grace in our salvation from beginning to end. And although Simeon cannot know everything about Jesus from his perspective in time, that's how he sees everything at the presentation of the baby Jesus, the baby Jesus, in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Such is Simeon's assurance in the Lord's promises. Add assurance to reverence, and you have the necessary equipment to see everything in our time the way Simeon saw everything in his time. He remembers Isaiah 52.10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And Simeon has spent his life as in spent it all. According to Psalm 119, 166, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. This man knows the Lord's word and believes. Rescue, redemption, rebirth, reconciliation, remaking, restoration, peace forevermore. All this Simeon beholds there in his arms in the newborn person of Jesus Christ. In him, Simeon sees clear as crystal the monumental scope and glorious inevitability of the Lord's salvation. Which brings us to the Lord's plan. Verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a salvation lovingly prepared in the Lord's mind, carried out through the Lord's relentless work in history. The Lord's plan 
drawn up within the Godhead before creation, before the first battle with evil in the Garden of Eden and the failure of Adam. A promised son, a future king, the one the Lord promised would come to crush Satan's head, even as the very first shadows of the widening darkness of man's sin began to spread throughout the world. Brought forth faithfully through the generations of a nation chosen by God through Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Boaz, Jesse, David. The Lord's plan conceived in his infinite wisdom and abounding love has marched on, unchanging, inalterable, unstoppable, beyond the petty criticisms of mere men and women, impervious to the attacks of the crazy world, the sinful flesh, and the wounded devil, untouched by the hatred of men and women who oppose God for the patient but unapologetic way, he has lovingly orchestrated his righteous decree before the faces of all peoples for all who care to see. A salvation assembled in careful order despite upheavals, war, suffering, and death. In fact, working together all those things which are the offspring of man's sin for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Throughout all history, the Lord's plan has been painstakingly prepared and perfectly executed. Through all the kings and all the sons of Adam recorded in Luke 3, if you care to turn the page, to Jesus, Messiah, Savior, conceived by God the Spirit, born to Mary, as God promised through Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus, there, in Simeon's arms. For us to behold, even today. For all to see. The Lord has made his salvation. He has made his salvation known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Psalm 98, 2. Through Jesus' sinless life, sacrificial death, justifying resurrection, and victorious ascension up to our day until he returns and forevermore. In the presence of all peoples, as prepared before the foundation of the world, the Lord's plan carries on. Which brings us to the Lord's light. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Here we have the second way. Christ embodies a grand theme of redemptive history in Simeon's song. 
from Thayer's Greek lexicon. In a preeminent sense is Jesus the Messiah called light. Biblical categories, darkness overpowered. Truth illuminated. Goodness expressed. The power of life. The nature and the purposes of God. Isaiah also foretold the coming of the light for revelation to the Gentiles 700 years earlier. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus himself is the Lord's light for revelation, the grand reveal of divine truth, the manifestation of the love grace, and mercy of God in salvation even to the Gentiles, us generally. Not just for Israelites, not just for a particular race or certain social class or economic status, not just for so-called religious people, and not for anyone who thinks he or she is good enough to earn the Lord's salvation. Unlike so many Jews at the coming of the Lord's Christ, Simeon rejoices at the unveiling of the Lord's purpose in history to save a people for his own glory. Even people from outside the privileged Jewish people. Some 30 years after Simeon held Jesus as an infant, Some privileged Jews called Jesus a liar. Well, in his response, he identified himself using the memorial name of the Lord God Almighty. I am. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, as long as as it is called today, don't miss this. The Lord's Christ, God the Son, has promised us this. You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You can be forgiven your sins in Christ. Don't wait. Ask someone who knows Jesus to help you understand what it means to come to the Lord's light. Which brings us finally to the Lord's glory, to the Lord's people. The end of verse 32, and for your glory to your people Israel. Now the two phrases of verse 32 are parallel. So read rightly, Simon is praising Jesus here as a light for glory to God's people, Israel. The ancient people entrusted long ago with the oracles of God. 
Romans 3.2. Simeon calls us again to remember God's promise through Isaiah. A promise of future glory for Israel, the chosen people of God. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, Israel. Isaiah 60, 1 and 2. Isaiah wrote of the glory of the Lord in his person. And in this way, Christ embodies the most magnificent theme of all redemptive history, glory. Jesus is the worth and weight and honor and splendor and renown of God made manifest in the flesh as a Jew and a native of Israel. And as the suffering servant so prominent in the Lord's word through Isaiah, who took upon himself the sins of all who trust in him for the Lord's salvation. The son of David, the son of David, consolation of Israel, the glory of Israel. There, in Simeon's arms, Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. First Peter 1, 20 and 21. Our salvation from beginning to end. May the Holy Spirit bless you with Simeon's eyes to see everything in this way. At Christmas time and all the time in our time, and proclaim the good news of Christ's coming for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.